This is Corolla Digital. Hey, you guys, it's me, Allison. I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. And if you like what you're hearing, which, come on, let's face it, you do. Make sure to tell a friend. You can find us on iTunes, the app, or my site, AllisonRosen.com. Allison Rosen, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison, we've had the good times never end. Allison Rosen, doing the way we get to dance again. Allison Rosen, Allison's your new best friend. Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. It's me, Allison Rosen, and this is very exciting. I'm sitting here with Tom Green. Hey. Hello. Hey, Allison. How are you? I'm good. How are you? This is exciting to be here. I'm excited that you're here. Yeah, we just, you know, we uh, were talking for a second before the show started. That's right. Just as, uh, you know, we were getting the microphones plugged in, checking the audio levels and things like that. All of that. And then we sort of realized that we probably shouldn't talk too much before the show starts because we want to, like, save it for, for air. Right. And you have really, you've turned it on and you've brought it. Yeah, see, I'm talking a bit louder now. I, definitely you yeah. are. Got yeah. a little more sort of, uh, I'm trying to talk from a certain part of my voice so it sounds like I have that radio voice, you know? Yeah, which part of your voice is it? You know, like kind of the back of your throat kind of gives it that deeper sound. Right. And where were you... Normally I just talk talk kind of like this. Right. But now I'm kind of talking... uh, from I feel there, like you're like uh, engaging your diaphragm, uh, probably. Yeah, uh, kind of from there, uh, like that. So mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, you, you, you feel it right at the bottom there. Yeah. Did it, did you have to go to school to learn how to do that? No, no, no. I just you know I've been doing this a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I've done a lot of radio over the years. Yeah, it shows. college radio. Yeah. Can you so, see how I get close to the mic? Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Sounds good, right? Really good. Signal to noise ratio. That's what that's called. Wow. Yeah, like if I, if I was to be back here like this, right? Yeah, now you're super, that's, wow. Uh, that's, a bad, that's a bad frequency, uh, si- yeah, signal bad frequency. to noise. Yeah, then you get up close like this. Right. Right, sounds I good. I know. All, yeah. There was all sorts of noise. I guess that would be the opposite of a clear signal. Yeah, right? well, if you're further away from the mic, then uh, they have to raise the, the volume, picks up a lot of the background noise yeah. and stuff. Yeah, we shouldn't really go on about the details, though. We don't want to ruin the mystery of it. No. Gotta- but, well, here's the thing, though. You asked me before we started when you were speaking with your, your other voice. Yeah. Not the real sonorous radio one. Yeah, just when one, I was talking the, with my normal voice. Just yeah. the, the one like this. Yeah. Um, you asked me, do I not like to, to talk before the show? Yeah. And I, said, and I explained my sort of... Um, nondescript, like I gave kind of a, not a clear answer, like, well, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But I'm wondering, were you sensing a certain reluctance to engage from me, a certain stick up my assness that I'm afraid that I have? No, no, I was actually, no, not that at all. No, no, uh, don't take it like that. Okay, thanks. I was, uh, I was sort of uh, sensing sort of a familiar uh, thing that I go through before the show. When I do, I do a a podcast. Yes, of course. Tom yeah, Green and Radio. I've, done, I've done web broadcasting and things. Yes, and uh, whenever I have a guest up, when I used to do my show at my house and now on the podcast, mm-hmm. there's always this sort of few minutes before the show starts where I worry about talking too much, and then when you get on, you start repeating the same conversation that you just had in the hallway. Yes, used to have uh, legendary broadcaster Ed McMahon from the Tonight Show of with course. Johnny Carson. And would, Publishers Clearinghouse. And Publishers Clearinghouse would come to my house all the time and do my show. And he was very much like that as a sort of legend in broadcasting. He was, you know, you know, he'd been broadcasting probably more hours than most people in history. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would be very quiet before the show started. And, and one day he said, come on, Tom, you don't want to leave it in the hallway. <laughs> 
So, so there you go. Yeah. So I've used that. I use that, that, that line a lot. That's good. I said that right before the show you started. You did, yeah. yeah. That was Ed McMahon's line. You stole I, it. I said it before. Didn't tell you that. It was Ed McMahon's line. You almost, t- you almost left that line in the hallway. I almost left the line in the hallway. Yeah, I was going to ask what you do. Because there are some um, media personalities who don't mind talking beforehand. And then there are some, like, do you know Pete Holmes? Uh Comedian, I'm, podcaster, he yeah. has a show coming out. Yeah, I, um, I, I know of him, yeah. Yes, yeah. he actually, if you start to talk to him before the podcast, he'll be like, wait, wait, save it for air, wait. Yeah. He's very, um, almost fascist about it. Well, David Letterman doesn't talk to the guests before the show. Right. Jay Leno does. That's the big I difference. I feel when, like when, that's when you, all you, you need to when, know. When you go on Jay Leno, he'll come into the room and have a nice conversation right. with you and uh, make you feel at ease, whereas Letterman likes the tension uh, to, to be there on camera, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or maybe he just can't be bothered, but I think it's more about him liking it to be natural and uh, the first time it happens. What Both do you th- different styles. What do you think creates the best show or the best interview? Because if you think about it, the familiar – like if you have a guest on that you know really well, I mean you, you have – your friends, well, uh-huh. your, or you've had uh-huh. uh, your friends with you all the time, like that creates a certain good chemistry. Yeah. Well, so many of the people that are on my podcast are um, something's dripping out of my nose right now. Do you see it? I don't see it. Okay, good. Well, I hope I'm not. I don't have a nosebleed, do I? No, you don't. Okay. Does weird. that happen to you often? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's, it's kind of a weird thing. Maybe I'm sweating. You don't look like you're sweating. Mm, okay. I'm not on drugs or anything, okay? Okay. That's the I kind mean, of the thing. nosebleed is curious. Yeah, yeah no. I, I thought maybe it's nothing happened. Maybe nothing happened. Anyways, well, you know what happened? We can't, you don't edit here. Say, we, we can't edit no. that part out, huh? No. Well, I mean, why would we edit out that goal? It's kind of a weird thing. You know, you're sitting there having a conversation with a guy, and all of a sudden he says, is something dripping out of my nose? And right. then there's nothing dripping out of my nose. It is, well, <laughs> it's weird. It's because the sen- you're having the sensation I of I probably wetness. shouldn't have said anything. Well, no, but Made it's a big quite deal possible. Out of something. I mean, it's possible that okay. So Larry Miller's out there. So there's nothing coming out of my nose right now, Allison. There's zero. Okay, good. Zero. So a lot of the people that are on my podcast now, because it'd be weird though if you didn't address it, but there was like a lot of snot or blood right. coming out of your nose. If there was blood pouring out of my face, like I'm interviewing Andrew WK, and I'm not saying anything about it. So. Anyways. So thank you for addressing it. Anyway, Get back to what I was, yeah. we were talking about. A lot of the people on my podcast uh, are friends of mine now, but I really became friends with most of them on the podcast. So the first few times I interviewed them, I didn't know them from, from, from anybody. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'd like to, I like to do things a little bit differently on my show than they do in a lot of uh, talk shows. I don't mm-hmm. really do any sort of pre-interview like they do on television. Yeah. I don't really like to let the guest know where the conversation's going. Kind of similar to like to what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of research. I like to know everything about uh, my guests and stuff. I go back and forth about, yes, in an ideal world, I like to know as much as I can, but then there have been times that I haven't had a chance to do it that much research ahead of time and it's been it's turned out fine anyway yeah yeah exactly. i'd imagine that's how it is for you too i feel yeah. like we're kind of two pe- we're, we're kind of in an birds in- of a feather yeah we're in an interesting world right now where you know you can sort of do everything that an entire television crew would would do you know in the 70s mm-hmm. you know with just a few people you know when you have a guest coming on you can go on and read everything about them watch all of their videos and television appearances all on the internet really kind of fill your mind with all sorts of information and then uh, just kind of have a conversation. So that's what I do on my show. It's called Tom Green Radio. It's on uh, iTunes and on uh, my website. TomGreen.com. And, and TomGreen.com, yeah. 
And uh, you can listen to it on your phone, just like this. You know, it's, it's like this. Congratulations kind of yeah, on the thanks. podcast, by the way. It's very good. And I have you heard it? I have heard it. Really? I was. I just listened. Finished listening to the episode with your parents. Oh yeah. And I wanted to talk about that. But first, yeah. I wanted to ask, what made you decide to do a podcast? Well, I started um, doing a web television show in my living room in about. I guess it was around two thousand and five. And I built this whole studio. Adam Carolla came up and did the show a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. He was awesome. And um, and I love doing the show. And I've always liked sort of technology and experimenting with new media. That's how my show started on MTV was us playing with video cameras and editing, editing equipment back in the, in the early 90s right. in Canada. And on so, public access, right? On public access. So it kind of was always something that was interesting to me. And um, – yeah, I just did the show for a bunch of years, but about about five years ago, I started doing stand up again, and I just took off on the road, and I kind of haven't been back that much. I've been going all over the world, and it's been really exciting, and I've really enjoyed doing stand up again. I definitely was enjoying doing stand up more than I was enjoying doing a talk show in my living room. Like it was fun mm-hmm. when I started doing the talk show in my living room because I was experimenting with technology and video on the internet was new and all this sort of switchers and cameras and all the stuff that I had was new. But then after a while, I just didn't want to have all these fucking people in my fucking house all the time. <laughs> Sorry, right. I, li- I was listening to your podcast uh, a little bit earlier today and I noticed that the, the guest that you had on used the F word. Uh-huh. And when I heard him say that, I thought, geez, that's a little bit kind of not very gentlemanly, you know, to come into a nice ladies podcast oh. like yourself. Oh, no, thank and start throwing the F-bomb around. I enjoy I, the I said F-bomb. to myself, I'm not going to do that uh, today. I'm going to come up here. I'm going to speak you know, with nice words and things like this. But then, Thank uh, you. But then I just, I just thought that maybe that would be a, the right moment to just let, let an F-bomb slip right there. I see. I didn't even notice that you did. I just wanted That's to show you much- that – yeah. I, oh, I appreciate it. Chivalry is not dead in this it's room. It's a strong word, though. You know, I wanted yeah. to show that I was really, really serious about what I was trying to say. Yeah. I just didn't want people in my house anymore. No, I so get it. So it doesn't have the same impact no. if you don't throw the F word in there. How many people at a time would be in your house? Sometimes like a hundred. That's a lot of fucking yeah, people. Yeah, because we'd have, ba- we'd have band. Yeah, there's a lot of fucking people. It's a fucking lot right? of fucking people. Yeah. <laughs> so Fuck. We'd have bands on. We, I, I'd guar play in the living room. I had lots of, of rap groups and, and, and you know, musicians. And sometimes it would sort of turn into a party Mm -hmm. then i'd wake up in the morning and there'd be beer all over the floor the floors were sticky with beer and and it was just like a real mess so plus i wasn't really able to enjoy doing the show at at a certain point because i you know when you have like people in your house and they start touching everything and you're stressed out and you hate it yes that's what it was except i'd be trying to do the show but then out of the corner of my eye i'd be seeing some guy down the hall wandering around my room and it was just like kind of i couldn't you know, tell him to get the right. hell out of the room, right? So I just, you know, it was a distraction. Mm-hmm. No, I totally know what you mean. I, I also had uh, not at all your show. It was not at all at the level of your show, but I did a talk show out of my living room yeah. uh, in Brooklyn. And then when I would come out here to visit my parents, I would do it from their living room. And I had this musician, Matt Costa, who's great. He was on. Uh, and while he was talking, he kept like picking up the little tchotchkes in my parents' living room. Yeah. And I just was imagining like a crystal figurine dropping out of his hands and my parents freaking out, even though I was definitely an adult at this point. Yeah. But I still felt bad that I brought my circus into their living yeah. room and we might, yeah. So uh, the whole time I was interviewing him and I had my, I was That's watching exactly what I'm talking and I kept about. lifting it out of his and hands. You, now so you I can, know. Now you're here in this amazing studi- studio here and you can relax and just do your thing. Yeah. I can even, I, one time I spilled stuff in this studio. Yeah, but I it's fine. Bad. They have people here that come in and clean up yeah. spills. Yeah. Well, here's okay. So you've done the um, 
uh, for lack of a better word, like high-end, very official show. Yeah, kind of. Sanctioned by networks, etc. Yeah. And then you've also done doing it on your own in yeah. your living room. Mm-hmm. Which I've you al- prefer? I've always been more comfortable with the independent show. I mean, you got like... My show, when it was on MTV, it started on MTV in 1999. Mm-hmm. Okay, when I was, I took broadcasting in school because I wanted to learn how to make a show, and I went to the public access station, and I did this show. Started it in 1994, and we did it for years in Canada. My friends and I, all on our own, editing it, shooting it all. Nobody really telling us what to do. And then MTV really just picked that show up, and we repackaged it. We did didn't, you pitch to MTV, or did they come to you? Uh, we sent them tapes. And uh, actually through uh, uh, Howard Lapidus, who is a, a good friend of, of, of Adams and, and Dr. Drew's uh, and was one of the producers of The Man Show. And he was producing Love Line at the time. He's Drew's manager, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was – yes, exactly. He was, uh, was in Canada. And I, what happened? The story is the, – the way it all happened. OK. I'm ready. Mesmerize me. The way it all went down was there was this talk show in Canada – that I went on as a guest up there because my show was on in Canada and Howard Lapidus was there. And I had this kind of cult following in Canada and I would do crazy stuff like I'd go on the talk show with a dead raccoon in a, in a briefcase and then pull it out in the middle of the show and the host would start to vomit and it was mm-hmm. just pandemonium insanity. And all these kids were showing up at the show with signs and it was all very exciting kind of you know raw, raw kind right. of exciting youth culture, youth culture thing. And uh, – so Howard saw it, and I gave him some tapes, and he brought it to MTV, and MTV picked up the show. That's the whole story. But uh, that's kind of how it all went down. And, and when I went to MTV, they literally moved me and a couple of my friends to New York. We had all of our tapes. We went in. We repackaged the stuff. But all of a sudden, there were all these rules, and you were negotiating every joke with executive producers and executives. And it really became very corporate. And uh, – don't get me wrong. It was the most exciting thing that ever happened to me, really. It was so amazing, and MTV changed my life. I mean, I've, I've had, you know, been able to do what I want to do now, and, uh, and it's been great. Moved out of my parents' basement, everything, you know. But, uh, but I do really kind of like doing the independent stuff more. It's fun. I like producing it all, and I don't really like having somebody come in and tell you, okay, that's great. That's what you want to do. Now change it all. This is what we want you to do. Right. That's not why we get into comedy. Yeah. People didn't get into comedy because they wanted some boss telling them what to do. <laughs> they get into comedy because we hate that stuff. We hate authority telling us what to do. That's right. why I like doing stand-up even more than anything. There's just so many fewer restrictions. It's just you and a microphone. You get on a plane. You fly out to a city. You get up on stage. You say whatever you want. And uh, nobody comes in between you mm. and your ideas. And it's, it's, it's the best. So. Yeah, you you were saying that you like stand doing stand up more than doing the show out of your living room. Is it the freedom of it, or no? I, I or just, the feeling from the crowd. Yeah, well, the, it's great. I, I love the audience. I love having having the audience there, and it's sort of a fun experience, the live experience. And you know, I don't think anything really captures the adrenaline rush that you get from being on stage in a live environment doing stand up. Mm-hmm. Broadcasting is something that I love too. You know, I studied it in school. I've been doing radio and stuff since I was a kid. I love it. But it's not you don't I don't get as nervous bef- I get very nervous before I go on stage doing stand up. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of performers will will tell you the same thing. And then you get on stage and it's just this release and this adrenaline and endorphin rush and it's really kind of a fun thing. So mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but uh, no, I, I, I just don't. I didn't really just didn't want to do it in my living room anymore. So yeah, I still like doing the doing the podcasting a lot actually. And so mm-hmm. wait, why did you decide you wanted to do a podcast? Well. Really, it was just sort of a natural extension of my web show. I mean, really, I considered my web show a podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a podcast. It was just it was just not being distributed the same way on the phones and all that stuff. So I, I miss doing it. I miss doing the show. I just didn't miss doing it in my house. So right. I just, just decided to do it again, you know? Yeah. I So when I did my show, again, and I don't – I feel like there's almost a disrespect in comparing my stuff to yours because you're Tom no, Green. No, absolutely and I'm not. not Tom Green. What are you Green? talking about? I don't have a – fancy studio like this well my studio is kind of fancy but i don't have all the hd we do it have a nice studio but not like with all the lights and everything right yeah this is amazing well you, this isn't mine this is adam's though yeah i'm just yeah. squatting here that's fine but look at you with permission this is great you have a great show absolutely well, so anyway when i was when i was doing the video stuff the whole time i had this sense that as dynamic as i am on camera um yeah <laughs> I hope it's good. You're great on camera. Thank you. Yeah. I'm saying that with uh, uh, jokingly. Yeah. Um, I like but... watching you on Red Eye there. Thank you, Tom Green. Yeah. yeah. This is becoming my favorite interview yeah. and well, experience. Yeah. I'm enjoying this. Anyway, um, I uh, I always felt like I feel like the audience, like the whole time I had this sense that maybe I should be doing a podcast because I think the audience is there for podcasts more than for like appointment viewing. Mm-hmm. Have you felt like uh, that there's a larger audience for podcasts? Yeah, well, you know, it's one thing I like about the podcast is that there's no cameras on my podcast yeah. right now. I am going to be putting cameras again on my podcast this year, so the thing that I like about it right now <laughs> won't exist anymore. Right. But I am enjoying this sort of moment in time where it's just radio, theater of the mind. You don't have to worry about what funny face you're making or, or what little aside you're making to the camera, what you're wearing or how mm-hmm. your hair looks or whatever. You know, It's just, just uh, audio. And I, yeah. I prefer that. It's, uh, it's a lot more personal, I think. Plus, people listen to it so differently. You know, when I was doing my web show... It was early days in web broadcasting, and you know, people who wanted to watch it had to sit down at their computer, in their computer chair, and look at it for mm-hmm. an hour, which is sort of an odd way of watching television. Whereas podcasting is just great, you know, people in their cars driving, right. and uh, yeah, so it's good. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. some more opportunities to actually listen to it. Um, so I, was- I love this mangria. I'm drinking the mangria right now. You are. This is amazing. This is really delicious. It, 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 yeah. it goes down so smooth. I'm not drunk. I know. I just had a glass of it. What do you like when you're drunk? Uh, like, just a little bit louder, louder. than this. <laughs> just a little bit. Like, one more glass of this mm-hmm. and you'll know. How loud do you get? Like, you know, just a little bit louder than this. Okay. Yeah. But it's really, really good. 21% alcohol. That's right. Yeah, really delicious. Do you know what proof that is? Uh, no. No, I don't. It's 42. Is it really? Yeah, okay. you just double it. So oh, okay. you have a beer that is out in Canada now. Yeah, no, I'm in, in this... Uh, You're also in the alcohol biz. I'm, I'm, I'm in it. Yeah, I'm in it. And I'm loving it. I, uh, there's this great brewery in Ottawa, Canada called Bose, B-E-A-U-S, mm-hmm. Bose Brewery. Check out their website, Bose.ca. And they're an amazing uh, craft brewery in my hometown. And, uh, I, uh, you know, when I'm touring, people drink a lot of beer. Yes. And uh, the people that come out to my shows drink a lot of beer and... After my shows and the stand-up shows, I like to go out and hang with everyone and have a beer. And I was talking to the guys from Bo's Brewery and just thought it would be kind of fun to do 
a beer mm-hmm. and get it in at my shows and drink my beer at my shows. It's called the Tom Green Beer. And what's it like? With an exclamation mark. Okay. It's a, it's a milk stout. It's called a, st- a stout beer. It's like a very dark beer, like a Guinness. Like Guinness. But it's a milk stout. So they use lactose sugar to brew it. Mm. And when you brew a beer with lactose sugar, the sugar doesn't uh, dissolve into the uh, alcohol in the same way. So it leaves a, a, a sweetness to it. It's like almost got a chocolatey flavor to it. It sounds delicious. Like a chocolatey, it's like a thick beer, like a Guinness, but it's got a bit of a chocolatey hints of coffee flavor. It really is delicious. And um, it won an award, actually, uh, just a few weeks ago in Canada. The Ontario Craft Brewers Association. Ontario is a province in Canada, to all of uh, the Americans listening. It's uh, about five times the size of Europe. Uh, it uh, is to the north of New York State, um, and it is uh, – I don't know how many, how many times the size of Europe it is, but it's a big place, mm-hmm. you know, that people – a lot of people in America don't know the difference Anything. between Ontario and Ottawa, where I'm from, and what's a city and what's the province and right. what a province is and all that. So, But it's a big, a big area. It's about twice the size of Texas, and now it, the beer is being distributed all across that area. And this, all the craft brewers have this big uh, brewery convention every year. And um, the Tom Green beer won the best-tasting beer of all the new beers. And the prize was it gets put in all the, uh, all the beer stores in Ontario, 400 stores in Ontario. That's, and it's going to be coming out in the U.S. This, this year as well. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. So this year? Yeah. We're, we're, it's launching in November in uh, maybe next year, actually. Okay. If, if you, this year in Canada, next year in Ontario. In uh, United States of America, that's very exciting. In the United States, yeah, it's 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 fun. You know, I um, yeah, I'm kind of excited about it. Actually, I got some cool stuff going on. Tell I, me I, about more of your I stuff. Just, uh, uh, I could announce it here. I've never talked <gasps> about this anywhere I love, before. I love, but scoops. I just uh, signed on to a new TV show with Andrew Dice Clay. Congratulations! Yeah, what is the show? It's called The Big Big Show, uh-huh. and we're judges on this new show. And it is, uh, it is uh, going to be uh, kind of like the Gong Show, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like a sort of a more outrageous, edgier, stranger, weirder version of America's Got Talent. Or American Idol. Right. Um, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Andrew Dice Clay, myself, and Tara Reed are the judges. Wow. Yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. Hot off Sharknado. Hot off Sharknado, yeah. And we did a photo shoot for it last week, and we, we had a lot of fun there, and we're getting ready to launch this thing. We're sh- When's it coming We're shooting out? the first episode, a pilot episode. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, we'll, we'll, but we expect it to be uh, big. It's with, it's with Tommy Habib. From Cheaters. You know the show Cheaters? Yes. Yeah, he produced Cheaters. Right. And it's a syndicated show. So he's putting it out there in syndication. That's really cool. And it's going to be really crazy. And it's a lot of fun. Andrew Dice Clay and I have become really good friends. So this is one thing that has been, um, I think, probably one of the many sort of great things that came from my web show at my house. When I did that show, I had hundreds of people came up to the house and so many people just you know, yeah, it's a nice thing. You know, you have a talk, you do a talk show, and after the show, we hang around, have some beers at the house, and become friends with so many people. And Dice and I have just really hit it off. And uh, you know, I'm just really happy for him because he is in the new Woody Allen movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which uh, is getting really good reviews. Yeah, it, have you seen it? The mo- yeah, I went to the premiere. Dice invited me to the premiere this week as his guest, one of his guests. Blue Jasmine with Woody Allen. Uh, Woody Allen's directed and wrote. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Dice is incredible in it. He is, uh, I think, 
one of the standout supporting roles in the movie. It's with Kate Blanchett and uh, and uh, Louis C.K., Alec Baldwin, and uh, all sorts of great people in the movie. And uh, it's just really, really exciting time. Yeah. So we're, uh, you know, you'll have to go see it. I will have to. Yeah, you'll have to and I'm it. excited to see the big, big show. The big, big show. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be fun. You know, because the thing is, you know, sometimes when you... There's certain people you just have sort of a chemistry with. Mm-hmm. And you and Dice have that I, I and think Tara so. reads there too. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. No, <laughs> I think it'll be fun. I think she'll probably be the the voice of reason. That's <laughs> – I don't – I'm speechless. Yeah. Um, there was a show called The Extreme Gong Show, uh-huh. a very short-lived show. My band was on it. Oh, cool. We got gonged. Oh. Many years ago. Yeah. I'm trying to remember who the host was. I feel like there probably some – oh, look. I see Gary looking it up. It may or may not have been someone that anyone has ever heard of. Um, oh, okay. So I wanted to so ask. Like, uh, was it like uh, Shadow Stevens? Monty no, was, Hall or something like that? No. No, no but it, it was more like in between Monty Bob, Hall and. Bob Eubanks? Bob Eubanks. It was not Bob Eubanks. No. But Gary, I'm, gonna, I'm pulling you off of that for one second. Do you yeah. remember yeah. when we were doing our Thursday? So on the Thursday show. You were trying to think of the name Bob Eubanks? I was trying to remember, remember the, the name. Co- the host of Card Sharks. Yeah. Was it Bob Eubanks? Yeah. That. Was it, or, all... was it, or was it Gene Rayburn? No, he was Joker's Wild. Yeah, and Match Game. Yeah. Yes. 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 Okay. Anyway, just glad that we finally got that solved yeah. from to the listeners what was probably What other weeks game ago. show hosts can you think of? Alec Trebek. Yeah. Yeah. Is it Alec or Alex? Alex Trebek. Yeah, from my hometown of Ottawa, Canada. Does the way he overpronounces words bother you? That's Canadian. That's me? a Canadian thing. How? Okay. That's, I'm, that's I'm the gonna... way I'm talking right now. Really? Yeah, no, over enunciating. No, you're just. You're just speaking clear like a bell. He's... Canadians do that because we're steeped in uh, CBC broadcast history. We I'm... grew up listening to CBC Radio, uh, which is uh, the Amer- Canadian version of NPR. I'm writing down a word. I wrote down a word. I'm okay. going to show it to you, and I would like you to say this word. Medieval. Well, see, medieval. correct, but medieval. your buddy mm-hmm. Trebek says medieval. Medieval. Yeah. No, he, he, that, he rings extra yeah. syllables out of yeah, words. That's taking it too far. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm sorry. And the question was, what other uh, game show host can I think of? Yeah. Pat Sajak. Pat Sajak's good, yeah. Um, uh, Wink Martindale. Okay, yeah. Good. Wait, who was? Bob Barker. Bob Barker, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. I didn't know you were playing, but nice. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. It's okay. Um, Drew oh, oh. Carey. Drew Carey. Vicky Lawrence. Okay. Win, lose, or draw. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was great with Burt Convy was on yes. that show. Yeah. I remember that. So, wait. Gene Rayburn was Match Game? Wasn't he? Are yeah. you sure? Nah, maybe not. I don't know. Wait. I know your mic's not I on. I probably it. shouldn't have uh, suggested we play a game that I realize now that I'm not good at. All right. Yeah. Just glad that you're Yeah, you know, I suggested we play a game and then I lose it. Should yeah. have suggested we play a game about something I'm good at. Okay, what would that be? I can't think of anything. All right. Yeah. Well, then I'm going to ask you my question. But if you think of something, I'm mm-hmm. always up for games. Yeah, okay. Okay, so I was just reading uh, uh, an article about you. And you were talking about the moment in sixth grade where you got a, a huge laugh. Mm, you know yeah. what I'm referring to? When Absolutely. Uh, you, you were talking about different forms of comedy. Yeah. And then a, a teacher, I think, said that you didn't give an example of using comedy to like get out of an awkward situation, and yeah. then you came up with a joke on the fly. Yeah. You got a huge laugh. and Life-changing moment for me. Yes. And you said that you just felt like you were totally accepted by everybody. Yeah, for the very first time. And For a moment. And, then, that, it, and then the next day, it all went back to normal. I like Some of my best dreams uh-huh. have been dreams where 
I have that feeling. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you still wish you could have? Yes. It is. I think we're always chasing that last big laugh as comedians. You know, it fades quickly. You know, you get that big laugh. You walk off the stage. You have a big, great rush feeling of adrenaline. And then you go out and have a few drinks and celebrate and then fall asleep and uh, wake up hungover and depressed. And mm-hmm. you go, oh, boy, I got to do it again. But, you know, it was, it was the first time I had that feeling. You know, it was the sixth grade. And I, I was doing my public speech was a, your entire English mark, your English grade in the sixth grade pretty much hinged on how you did in the public speaking competition. And uh, the year before, I had won for my class. And the year before that, I had won for my class and moved on to the semifinals. Mm-hmm. But this was the first year I won for my class, moved on to the semifinals for the grade, and then moved on and competed in front of the entire school in front of an audience of about like 500 people wow. or something. Very exciting for a six-year-old, uh, grade six. Uh, <laughs> right, so 12, what, whatever 11, that is. Yeah. 12. How old are you in grade six? Sixth grade, yeah. Uh, you are yeah. 11, I believe. Yeah, 11-year-old kid. And so my speech was on comedy, and I you know, researched all of these uh, comedians, and I researched different kinds of comedy, you know, talking about slapstick comedy <laughs> and uh, sarcasm, satire, right? satire sar- you know, all this, you know. Uh, all this stuff, right? And, um, you know, I, I, I got up in front of the school and the judge, the judges, the judge stands up and asks you a question after your speech. And the judge said to me, Tommy, uh, could you tell us, you said in your speech, you can use humor to get out of uncomfortable situations. Can you give us an example of when you've done that? And, uh, you know, this judge, this Use the word. Jerk, right, okay. of a judge trying to screw over some 11-year-old with some trick question, yeah. right? And I, that judge just pissed me off, right? And I, I, I froze for a second, couldn't think of anything. But then I'd been reading all these like 101 jokes of books. Mm-hmm. And so I had a joke popped in my head that I didn't write. And I said, oh, well, actually, uh, I can tell you an example of that. I said, uh, when I brought my report card home uh, to my dad uh, at the end of the term last year uh, – uh, I said, Dad, I've got some 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 bad news for you. Uh, my marks, uh, they're underwater. And he said, well, what does that mean? And I said, they're below sea level. <laughs> they're below sea level. And, uh, you know, kind of a cheesy joke now for a 42-year-old man who is <laughs> trying to make his way as a professional stand-up comedian. But for an 11-year-old... Uh, it was a big moment. Mm-hmm. I think there was just such relief in the room that I had something to say to this sort of adult who was trying to screw me over. And everybody just laughed so hard, all these kids laughing so hard. And I looked over and the girl that I had a crush on, uh, oh, Sarah. Snap. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wasn't yeah. that her last yeah, name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've stopped using the real name, actually, oh, just because that. I think it's probably going to drive the poor woman crazy. You know, she's living her life up there in Canada and I keep dropping this name from the fourth grade or whatever. Anyways. That's definitely not her name, what I said. That was yeah. just some sort of Yeah. No, that was Tourette's. her name. That was actually it. But anyways, <laughs> the point is, uh, you know, it was amazing. I saw all these people laughing and smiling. I went out into the schoolyard. All the cool kids were coming up to me, <laughs> asking me how I thought of that so fast. And What did you tell them? I just told them, oh, man, I'm just quick like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, like that. I, I feel like I've had dreams where I experienced that kind of, like, nothing can touch me, everyone loves me feeling. Yeah. Um but that was the moment I knew what I wanted to do with my life, that moment. You know, the, 
The year before, my speech had been on uh, rock formations, igneous, metamorphic, and sedimentary rock. If I'd won the contest for the school that year, I'd probably be an ar- uh, geologist. A geologist. Yeah. Wow. Or whatever the fuck it is. Whatever it is. And did you – so – For rock studying. I think it's geology. Yeah, geologist, yeah. Um, okay, so in sixth grade, you decide what you wanted to do. Was there any, ever a moment where you thought – where you changed your mind? Or th- or never was. It. Never was a moment. No. I just knew I wanted to do, do something that didn't involve having to work in an office and, and mm-hmm. you know, just kind of have, have rules and stuff. So I totally understand chasing that big laugh, but do you act – do you want to be accepted? Like that – are you chasing that feeling of acceptance? Uh, not – well, not really. That's not the, the primary thing. I mean it's, it's important that people like – what you do so that you have people coming to your show and laughing. If nobody mm-hmm. accepted you in any way, then you'd be playing to an empty room. So that's – I've been very lucky. I've had a lot of great things have happened to me, uh, the, you know, with starting with MTV picking up the show and putting it all over the world. And now I've been able to tour, tour literally all over the world the last few years and have a lot of really supportive fans who grew up watching the show and now watch it on the internet. And, and uh, you know, it's cool. I, my show was pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Like at times it got really, really off the wall. Like probably was not really what you would consider to be a mainstream show, but it went it went went mainstream for a while there. And so I have a lot of people that are sort of a, you could call it a cult following that come out and support the show. And and as long as as though the base of people that really get what I do keep supporting me, then that's that's good. I'm, I'm having a good time. Um, you also said that you want to be or you like to be known as the guy who will do anything. Really? Did I say that? You did. But when this did was, I say that? I think in 2000. Oh, okay. So I wanted to ask if what that was about. I don't know. Uh, I think... Like you wanted people to be like, that guy's nuts, as opposed to that guy's nut. Yeah. You were talking about cancer. Uh-huh. Well, uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of different stuff in, that, in there to talk about. Uh, like um, there were things that I did not, would not do on my show. So, you know, like sometimes what? you do so many interviews, you start saying stuff that you don't actually mean. Right. So I might not have meant that. I, 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 I did, you know, we did have this real, you know, strong desire to make the show kind of like an anti-TV show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it shocked a lot of people when it came on the air. There hadn't been reality TV yet at that point. People hadn't really seen some of the more outrageous types of things being done on TV. Everything before that had been kind of scripted. And, and so we just kind of wanted to shatter the... The formality, the format of TV, and uh, you know, at least make people think that anything could happen. There were mm-hmm. always lines, though, that I didn't want to cross. I, I we did not. I didn't really not want the show to be mean spirited. I never wanted to really, uh, you know, make fun of certain groups of people or people for the way they look or things mm-hmm. like that. So. There was lots of things that that I you know that I felt strongly about not doing on the show too. So we wouldn't do anything, but but it, I guess the idea was that the you know we like to push the envelope as far as we could in certain directions. Are there ever, um, like are you do you are you shy at all? Yeah, I am like socially uh, awkward. I get I get a lot of anxiety when it in, involves like going to like uh, hang out with the uh, smaller groups of people. Um, like going to a parties and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, yeah, I would say I am. I think that's kind of why I like doing stand-up and doing the show is that that's sort of in a place where with all the technology involved and all the all of that, that's a, that's, that's a place where I can be where 
everybody else gets nervous and I actually am comfortable. <laughs> so I feel like I have a little bit of control. Yeah. As uh, whether it's on stage doing stand up or whether it's hosting the show. And I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I, I, I really, uh, I mean, I'm not saying I uh, am a complete mess or anything, but I think a lot of performers are like that. You know, I am, I, I've gotten a little bit quiet as an adult when I'm not. And that's completely different. You know, I mean, not to get totally personal, but you mentioned the Please. the nut thing and the cancer thing, right? Because I had the testicular cancer. Yeah. And after that happened, I, that did change me you know, pretty uh, dramatically as far as just as far as my personality, as far as my energy levels mm-hmm. changed. Um, you know, when I was a teenager, I just had so much energy. I was, you know, bouncing off the walls and constantly trying to get attention and, you know, crashing into into garbage cans and, you know, falling down on the street just to get a laugh. And, you know, but uh, that sort of faded away a little bit. Now I sort of uh, think about, about, you know, what I want to do and, 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 you know, try to be a little bit more laid back in my real life. Yeah. And you think that's the cancer that did that? Uh, partially and getting older. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into that, you know, it's a weird thing when you when you're a teenager and you haven't uh, been in the spotlight, and that's all you want mm-hmm. is you want people to look at you. Hey, you know, you want people to pay attention to what you have to say, and so there's a sort of desperation there, and that's what I was like before my show got picked up. Then the show came out. I got cancer re- virtually the same time mm-hmm. a year later, and you know. Your sort of your sort of uh, view of the world changes a lot from both of those things. For one, for one, everybody is kind of looking at you all the time when you walk in a room. So it starts to get kind of embarrassing to be sort of you know trying to always constantly be the center of attention. You feel like people are kind of out to kind of say, "Yeah, fucking this fucking Tom Green guy's <laughs> always fucking goofing off, crashing into plants and stuff." It would be silly. Plus, you know, you're getting older. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I uh, like you wanted to be taken seriously. Well, not really. No, no, not really. I mean, I do. Uh, I do talk about more serious subjects in my stand-up comedy than I ever did on the on the show when mm-hmm. we were starting. You know, I talk a lot about uh, our society and right. about technology and about social media and about uh, the government. Uh, you know, listening to our phone calls and things like this that are affecting our lives and. You know, marriages being affected by Facebook and all, all of this kind of stuff. You know, things that I think are important to people. Um, but uh, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I, I, I guess, I guess it's just a matter of getting a bit older. Um, it's also having, you know, having done a lot of that stuff. You, I just don't want to keep doing the same joke over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like it, it, it. You know, when I started the show on MTV, it was the only show like it. And now there's hundreds of shows like that. You can go on cable TV and watch a dozen shows with people going out in the street and pulling pranks on people. You know, there's no surprise anymore. There's nothing unexpected about it. So yeah. I kind of like to stay ahead of the the what people are expecting me to do. Well, it's interesting. I, I was reading your um, recent Huffington Post piece, and you were talking about how exploitative reality TV yeah. is and ha- has become. And there's the difference in what you were doing that you were the one in control of it, yeah. versus now, you know. These pe- people are sending kids out and exploiting them. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I think that's kind of. Uh, it's a, I started writing articles for the Huffington Post. That was my second one that I've written, and there was something kind of humorous and ironic about me writing an article about how reality TV is rewarding bad behavior mm-hmm. and encouraging people to act out. Considering that I did so many outrageous things on my show, but 
like what I was saying a minute ago, like when I started the show, I was just I was living in my parents' basement trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And, uh, you know, the idea of getting a lot of this crazy sucking milk out of a cow's udder and f- putting it on TV or humping a dead moose or putting pe- dog poo on a microphone put- and then putting the microphone in people's yeah, faces. Just sort of shocking, strange, weird stuff. To me, it was, I always felt like I was taking on the media. I was going, if I can trick MTV to actually air this shit, you know, that to me is sort of uh, subversive, right? Right. And, well, and, you, you were a skater, so you kind of had a yeah. skater punk ethos, would you say? Absolutely. You know, grew up listening to underground hip-hop music and skateboarding. But to me, it was like kind of like I was taken on the media. Mm-hmm. And now, so I was very surprised after, you know, over the last 10 years or so, as technology has changed, as reality TVs become so much more uh, mainstream, to see how the same networks that were there telling me not to do stuff are now basically, you know, finding people and uh, putting them out, you know, out there and really rewarding them for outrageous behavior, things that I, I never did, you know, and I, I, you know, I think morally reprehensible, re- reprehensible behavior, like, you know, like, I don't like, I, you know, it's in the piece, I don't throw, pe- I don't like naming names personally, because mm-hmm. I just, I don't like trashing people personally. But it just seems odd to me that we're living in this world where, you know, young girls are growing up and they can see people who have made a sex tape and then now they're famous and have made tons of money. And, and, and you know, there's multiple examples. Now there's, you know, this new girl from 16 and pregnant, right? right. You, you can get pregnant at 16 and, and you get a TV show and all of a sudden you're famous and then you go make $5 million doing a porno. And what does that do to young girls in society growing up, especially people who are not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, gifted people or, you know, not everybody is born with sort of this great intellect and can sort of analyze what they Mm -hmm. see and understand that things are wrong. And when it's on TV and and shown to everybody that it's acceptable, you have a whole segment of society thinking, oh, that's acceptable. That's morally acceptable behavior because the media is not trashing that person. When that person goes on, you know, such and such a talk show, they're not getting called out on it. And, you know, because there's such a bureaucracy to to the mainstream media that really surprised me when I came on to MTV. You know, you have all these people who work in these companies. There's such competition for ratings. They don't want to, you know, uh, you don't have, you know, these people that do a lot of this negative stuff really get called out on it because then they won't go on those talk shows again. They're, you know, there's, so it's just yeah. you really sort of – there's this sort of this weird false momentum. acceptability to it, you know. So it's kind of an odd thing to me and um, – you know, I, uh, I I think it's strange. No. Do you are there any things that you did where you feel like you went too far? Uh, not really, not really. I mean, because so much about so much of the stuff that really we did on my show was really about more more about me embarrassing myself. But we came up with the idea ourselves, so it was it was an orchestrated thing, like. And that's, I think, sort of what the difference was between my show and, say, most reality TV shows where they take a bunch of sort of train wreck type people who are not really in control of their drinking or mm-hmm. they're not in control of, 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 of their actions. And, uh, 
you know, the networks are aware of this and they put them in a room, put them in very sort of hostile circumstances, manipulate the situation and the environment so that they completely make fools of themselves. Whereas we were in a completely different mode where it was my friends and I sitting around going, okay, how am I going to make a fool of myself this week? <laughs> you know, so it was, it was different. It was a different thing. Yeah. I, I was watching you. You were interviewed on O'Reilly. I don't know what year it was, but it, you guys were talking about the Video Music Awards where Madonna and Britney yeah. kissed. That was quite about, a while ago. Yeah, it was quite yeah, a while ago. Yeah, yeah it was, it, I saw it online. Um, and like bum fights and stuff like that. And that uh, was an interesting interview. Did they? Did he bring you on because you, so because you could speak to the trend in reality TV? Uh, you know, I think he brought me on because Britney Spears had just kissed Madonna on the Video Music Awards, and this and everyone was outraged, mm-hmm. and uh, so he thought that he'd bring on a guy from MTV to talk about it. I'm assuming he thought that he would have a guy from MTV on, and then he'd sort of you know. You know, walk all over the MTV guy or whatever. Right. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I I don't know if he was expecting me to have some sort of a debate with him. I really love his show. Uh, I haven't been back on since, although I don't know if that's, you know, you know I'd love to go back on his mm-hmm. show because I actually really enjoyed sort of talking to him. It turned into a little bit of a debate, if I can remember. And the only yeah. reason I really remember is because a lot of people watch that on the internet and mm-hmm. turned up into a bit of a debate about rap music and all of this stuff. So Yeah, and you were saying to him that you don't think that he quite understands rap music and how and that uh that what you were saying what were you saying? You were saying something is like a movie yeah, you were saying that that the imagery and all of that it, it's sort of like a movie, and then he's saying no, a movie is a one shot thing, and you're yeah. saying he doesn't really under, understand how this stuff is operating, yeah. and that you are saying that the kiss is that's really just entertainment value because he felt that this is just deplorable, and you know what what would you do if your young girls were watching this? Well, I think sometimes I think, and I'm I'm not referring to Bill O'Reilly specifically, but I think sometimes when people come down on rap music because of violence in rap music. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, an element of – and I'm not talking about Bill O'Reilly here. But I think generally there can be an element of racism to that because, yeah. you know, like do people come down on Martin Scorsese because there's <laughs> violence in Goodfellas? Do people come down on Quentin Tarantino because there's violence in his movies? No. And, and, and so then to say, oh, there's violence in rap music is just uh, sort of, uh, you know, ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's entertainment and, and, uh, and uh, yeah. So, you know, what are you going to do? So – I, I love wa- the Bill O'Reilly show. It's a hilarious show. Do you watch it? Yeah, all the time? I, I used to watch it a lot more. Right after 9/11, I was watching a lot of uh, cable news, and uh, you know, for about five years there, I was just really addicted to cable news. And I'm trying to wean myself off of it a little bit because I find it depresses me. Yeah, I haven't been able to fully wean myself off of it. I have CNN on all day at my house and. You know, and I, I sort of have it on the background and I have to turn it off because it's just depressing because it's always like, you know, like a car crash, mm-hmm. boat crash, uh, you know, baby falling off of a bridge, uh, you know, terrorism, all this stuff. But but I, I just feel like the need to kind of to watch it just to see what the mainstream media feels that we need to know is going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was interesting. I was watching uh, – I forget. I was flipping around the cable news uh, channels and a lot of people were talking about – how Obama hasn't yet said anything about uh, Zimmerman, and you know, uh, you know what, like debating the fact that he hadn't said anything. And then the next day he said something, and I was thinking, 
Well, did they know that he was going to say – like the timing – how did they all decide that it's a huge story that he hasn't yet said anything about it? Yeah. That's, my, That's curious My problem with the Zimmerman thing and the Jody Arias thing and all these trials that, that – that, and I understand it was a – you know, uh, a heated situation with Zimmerman and, uh, you know, unfair and all that stuff. And pe- there's gun control and racial issues and all of these things. And it's very important that we talk about these things in our world. But I just think sometimes CNN, because CNN was basically built on O.J. Simpson, right? Yeah. The O.J. Simpson trial is the reason why CNN exists. It was their first huge ratings thing. And ever since then, it's like they kind of go, okay, what trial are we going to market to the American people this week? And they must always be looking and trying to figure out what the next trial they're going to market. It's interesting. They must have interns monitoring court dockets and whatnot. Because I think there's just some stories out there that get really completely, uh, you know, uh, know, swept under the uh, under the rug. And I sometimes get very sort of skeptical about why that is. You know, like Edward Snowden, for mm-hmm. instance. They hardly talk about Edward Snowden. Is there a reason for that? Is there a reason that our, you know, corporate-controlled mainstream media is not talking more about Edward Snowden? No, maybe, maybe let's let's while this Edward Snowden thing is happening, let's create a distraction. Let's get everyone riled up about Zimmerman. Let's let's get the the people in our society angry at one another, get them out on the streets rioting, really brainwash everybody into looking at that when meanwhile there's this incredibly sort of interesting Mm -hmm. story that to me is I think something that is much more universally of a concern, uh, universal of a concern that, you know, you know, the government is listening to all of our phone calls, recording everything we do. Uh, I don't know. That's a, that's a little bit of bullshit there. I had a drone fly over my house uh, in L.A. about two months ago, a military drone with cameras on it. Flew right over my house, filming into the backyard. What if I'd been smoking like a joint or something like that? Yeah. The cops going to show up in my house? Can't even smoke a joint in your backyard anymore? Huh? That Did that make you paranoid? Yeah. The joint or the drone? <laughs> the drone. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I just think I just think that people don't question a lot of these, uh, you know, uh, sort of things that we're giving up as far as our privacy and and uh, and uh, you know we're so becoming so comfortable with you know having our cell phones track us <laughs> and our you know yeah. giving all our information up and everybody knowing where you all are all the time and what you're doing all the time and and uh, you know I, I just think sometimes that these trials like this Zimmerman trial, I think is just a little bit of a distraction, purposeful. But who do you think is pulling those levers? The military-industrial complex. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Eisenhower. (laughs) Yeah, I do think so. But, I mean... But really, who? Like, you, where, like, where do you think the message is coming down from? I think it's corporations have interests that are, are, you know, very self-serving and... uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, not any one single person. I don't sit there and say, oh, I think there's a shadow government uh, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's just so much interest from, you know, like, you know, I just I've just seen like I, I've had friends that work in news media mm-hmm. and I see the way they just sometimes just don't ever talk about certain things. Yeah. You know, like like look at like Kennedy. Kennedy gets assassinated. Obviously, this was a long time ago. But it just seems odd to me that there is so much question and right. so much uh, you know, unsolved, unquest- unsolved questions about that. 
And, you know, it just it sort of just doesn't get talked about anymore. Yeah. It, it never really seemed like it ever really did, you know. So I'm skeptical about, like, you know, you know, when that happened, when major events happened like Edward Snowden, when things happen uh, like that. And you have a reporter go, hey, I want to go do a story about this. I think at a certain point it kind of gets like put on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Well, no, let's go do a story about uh, you know, Casey Anthony instead because that's really important. Right. Casey Anthony, really important. Do you watch Newsroom? Yeah, I've seen a few episodes yeah. of that yeah, and I love that show. Yeah. Gary mm-hmm. is the, the biggest newsroom fan ever. I haven't oh, yeah. seen last night's episode yet. Yeah, okay. I haven't seen. I, I admit I have not seen every episode of it, but I, I have seen a few. I love that okay. show. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to. I want to ask about your relationship with your parents, and I want to ask a little more about the way cancer changed you. Which one should we talk about? I uh, saw so my parents first. Okay. Yeah, like so. I just uh, recorded an episode of my of my podcast, uh, Tom Green Radio, with my parents, um, and uh, I have I have. My, on my show, I do my show in a little studio, but I also have a little portable studio. Mm-hmm. And so I was up in Canada staying, uh, staying at the lake, and uh, they live in a lake in Canada. It's the best decision they ever made, I think they said that. Yeah, to move out to the yeah. lake. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And I actually just took two, two weeks off of, of everything and just went out just to sort of move back into my parents' basement and have my mom make eggs for me. <laughs> and I uh, found out a lot of interesting things. Like I never knew my father had been to jail. My father went spent a night in jail for what? Uh, uh, underage drinking. Wow. Yeah, no big deal. But, uh, <laughs> but still. you know, still, you know, he never told me that. Then Did today, your mom tell you? today on the drive here, uh-huh. I'm going to tell you something else that I only found out two hours ago. Wow. And uh, I can't, I, I can't even really, I don't even know how I feel about it. But it's my birthday today. Happy birthday. Yeah, tomorrow, actually. But today, oh, you know. But happy birthday-ish. Yeah. 42 happy years birthday. old. Happy I said, birthday. More dramatic if it's today. So I got that yeah. dramatic thing and then I took it away. And, but and it's, it's okay. tonight. Middle of the night. Right. Six in the morning. Okay. So I'm turning 42 years old and my mother called me while I was driving over here to wish me happy birthday and all that stuff. And then, uh, you know, my dad got on the phone to wish me a happy birthday. And then somehow during the conversation, my father told me just now, literally an hour ago, that he wasn't there when I was born. Was he wasn't. He, he wasn't there. Where was he? He was at home sleeping. He took my mom to the hospital <laughs> when she went into, and it was spent twenty four hours with her. Uh-huh. And then it was like midnight, and he was like, oh, "Okay, I'll come back tomorrow." He went home, and they got a call in the morning. I'd been born already. wasn't even there. Never. Yeah. T- but the, isn't it weird that I, I would, he, they would never tell me that for forty two years? Yeah. It's like, and I, I said, "Why did you never tell me that? I just assumed you were there. Uh, why would I ever ask?" And I think it's because he was ashamed. And embarrassed. Did he say that on the phone? Not ashamed. No, that's, 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 that's too, too big of a word. Too strong. He felt bad about it. See, at a certain point, they're not telling. I feel like it's just not, oh, it just never came up. And then at a certain point, are they purposefully not yeah, telling you? That's, that's what, what I think. I it think. Is. That's what I think it is, too. Do you think too. your mom was upset with him? Yeah, I'm sure she was. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, see, I got to ask my mother about that because it was literally as I was pulling into the yeah. parking lot. I was like, what? How could, you, how could I only be finding this out now on my 42nd birthday? You had an absentee father. Yeah, he was the home most sleeping. crucial moment. Yeah. 
Your, but, your but, birth. But, you know, they, I had great parents, have great parents, and, and, and my dad was there for me throughout my life, so it made up for it. But uh, Well, so I, I was trying to figure out your relationship with your parents, though, because it seems like some of the earlier stuff, at a certain point, would you say that you had kind of a contentious relationship with them? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because when, when I was younger, uh, you know, my dad was an army guy, mm-hmm. and he was a very serious army captain guy. And, uh, you know, corporal sort of authority and you got to work hard there, son. And, you know, every – Wake su- you up really early, Wake right? you up at 6 in the morning in the summer and make sure you go – he dro- pick me up on his way – drive me in to drop me off at the student employment center on my summer holidays and, you know, make me work jobs and things like this. Made me do my homework and, you know, study and all of this stuff. Uh, but he was very strict, strict, strict. Strict dad growing up, strict army dad. But um, yeah, you know. But it, did he? But corporal? Like, did he believe in corporal punishment? No, well, not really. A little bit, but it wasn't crazy. Right? You know, like he didn't punch me in the face or anything like that. Good. Yeah. I mean, you know, spanking. I got, I got, had spankings when I was a kid as punishment. Yeah. Well, like you know, a little swat in the leg or whatever. You know, right. but he didn't like punch me in the face or anything. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It was. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, I think that was a, a, you know, I think it was a different world back then. Yeah, you know, for I, th- sure. I think it was kind of normal to get a little spanking here and there if you mm-hmm. were. Plus, I was a crazy kid, you know. I was, uh, you know, very hyperactive kid, so I probably deserved it, you know. And do you uh, really think that? Oh yeah, sure. So, what happened with him and your mom, though? And I'm referring to the statue that you bought oh, on the lawn. What happened to them? Yeah. Well, they got mad at me, and uh, no, no, no. I mean, what happened? Did he actually? Did he hit her? No, no, okay. no. Okay. So, okay. That was made up. Gotcha. All right. Because that was suggested. Yeah. Yeah. It was also – a few it things suggest- were suggested. Yeah. So for anyone who's not up on this, it was suggested perhaps yeah, yeah. that one night your dad got mad at your mom for not no. having dinner ready when he got home. Yeah, the and perhaps where's my got- dinner bitch statue yes, with exactly. the statue of him with a raised arm with a stick in his hand. Exactly. And then the other statue was the do you like it like that uh, right, blank statue. Yeah, entering was, from behind yeah. with like a fountain. And I never really found out the details. I don't think that ever happened either. I don't know for sure, but uh, I never got details. Would you want to know? I no. Well, not. I mean, look, I was a different kind of person then. Uh, when I did that show, uh, you know, I was definitely trying to get a reaction from mm-hmm. my 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 parents and uh, trying to shock them into reacting. And uh, which I did. So, if, you know, they walked out of the interview. Right. You know, it was really just about uh, it, it being an outrageous thing to find on the front lawn in the morning. <laughs> but my parents don't really like me talking about this. Um, in fact, the only reason I'm really talking about it now is just to clarify that, yeah, no, no there was never any kind of like violence in the house mm-hmm. or anything like that. No, um, no. It was, we, we had a very – my parents are very conservative – not conservative but very, uh, you know – traditional. Traditional family. Uh, I was surprised, like when I did the slutmobile <laughs> and painted the pornography in my parents' car. Right, I was surprised at how sort of, sort of, sort of shocked they were by that. And um, but yeah, no, I think I was the weird one growing up. They were very, very, very uh, respectable people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but in the podcast with them, like they, they seem. Well, first of all, it's clear they're so supportive and they love you so much. And they seem really to, to have really good senses of humor and to be rolling with it and stuff as opposed to uh, – I don't know. I, there was an interview I saw. I guess it was the interview where, where they walked out. Yeah. Like they seemed like they'd kind of had enough. Whereas here it's like – I don't know. I mean were there laughs in the house growing up? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, sort of, it was like that interview 
my whole life. Constant. I call it bickering in the interview. Mm-hmm. But you know, one thing is, is it was very important that we ate dinner together every night. Uh, so. You know, if I'd be downstairs watching TV after school at five thirty or six o'clock, or it was it was very regimented. Okay, you have to come up and eat dinner, no matter what I was doing. And we would be forced. Even though I'm seventeen years old, sitting there at the dinner table, and there was this sort of rapport that we had. There's this sort of constant kind of mm, sort of joking bickering, very much like what you heard in the podcast, just mm-hmm. kind of that constant sort of dialogue. I think that in a lot of ways is what kind of got me, you know, shaped my personality into being somebody that liked to kind of talk, right? Mm-hmm. So that was a good thing. And the, the reason they got so angry when I did that stuff to them, that interview, uh, you know, the early one on MTV right. – was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was orchestrated. I was trying to piss them yeah, off. Well, yeah, you were asking them about yeah. sexual positions. Sexual positions and, and suggesting that there had been violence, and that, which there had not been. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, that they'd be, up, be upset about that. I think that was the one bit that maybe I went a little further than I, I wish I had. Maybe if you were to ask me if there was one bit that I uh, thought that I went too far. Right. It was that one. I don't regret it, though. Because it was funny, you know, and 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 it, 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 it got, you know there was a funny thing about that that bit was that it it would not have aired on MTV. After we came back from filming it, my father left a message on the answering machine at MTV. He said, "If you air that bit, I'm going to sue you bastards for one million dollars." <laughs> he said to the Viacom people, mm-hmm. who I'm sure were really nervous about that million dollar <laughs> right. lawsuit, right? <laughs> Viacom. <laughs> But, There's something um, so Canadian about that, and I don't even know why. Yeah, exactly. And we played the. But you know what happened was they they finally said they. So MTV's, but it's interesting that he contacted them as opposed to you. Yeah, he called MTV, who why? must have had like an answering machine because right. they had it on on on, a, on recording yeah. somewhere. Why do you think he went to them as opposed to you? Did he think that? Did he think that they were the ones who had the final say more than you? No, he went to me too. Okay. They just wanted to make sure that it didn't air. Yeah. So they wanted to make sure that they – so here, here I am. I got my first job in broadcasting and my dad's calling saying he's going to sue the network. Mm-hmm. Well, so, what, so what happened though because it did So air. kind of a fun story um, is he uh, – MTV called, played the, played the answering machine to message to me. He said, OK, we can't air the bit unless you get them to sign a release form saying that you can air the bit. So I called them up. I said, can you sign the release form? No, we're not <laughs> signing a release form. We just said we're going to sue you if you're – now why would we sign a release form? So the bit was shelved and everybody was really upset because we'd put a lot into it. We'd made the paper mache statues yeah. and everything. They cost like, you know, like a lot of money to make. You know, we had an artist make them and everything. <laughs> they were very realistic. Um, but then Oprah called and changed everything. That's how that's how crazy it was when the show got picked up by MTV. It's like so weird that first few months on the air. I was on Letterman. I was doing all these things that were very surprising to me and amazing to me. But um, Oprah called and said she wanted to have my parents on and myself on for her Mother's Day special. Wow. And so I called my mom and I said uh, – and she, she wanted to play the Slutmobile. She wanted to play uh, the painting my parents' house and have me come on and apologize to them. And Intuitous timing. Yeah, so I called my mom up and I said, "Well, I got some good news. You know, Oprah wants us to fly to Chicago next week and and uh, have you on the show and play the slutmobile and play the painting the house bit." 
So they were very impressed. My mother was very impressed, huge Oprah fan. And I, I put the release form that I had folded up, put in my back pocket, and we all flew to Chicago. And we did the show, and then Oprah surprised me and my parents and, and gave my parents an all-expenses-paid trip, 16-day cruise to Tahiti. Oh, wow. Through Tahiti. And uh, – you know, my mother and father were very happy about that, and we went out for dinner afterwards. And I said, "See, guys, see, Oprah likes it. It's funny. It's it's supposed to be crazy, and Oprah gets it. And can you sign this release form? Just let me air the bit. It'll save me a lot of trouble over at MTV." And they signed the release form, and and they let us air it. Oprah saved the day. They let us air it as long as I promised to never do anything like gross like that. <laughs> so you were talking with your parents about uh, the fact that you're not married and mm. not in a relationship. Mm. I don't, yeah. are, are you in a relationship? I am or? not right now, no. I was, but now I'm not. But that's always the way it is when people are not. Usually. I mean, I have been in a relationship. Unless they've never been in one, yeah, but we know you a, have. I have, yeah. yeah. How, I'm, how I'm, recently did you guys break up? Oh, about six months ago. Six months ago, I had a girlfriend for a few years. She was very nice, but just, uh, you know, I think the pressures of travel and always being on the road maybe had an impact mm-hmm. on it, on the relationship. And, uh, you know, I don't like to talk about it in detail because, you know, she's a very nice person and I don't want to go around sort of talking about specific things about her relationship on the air and stuff. But, uh, you know, yeah, I'm single right now. It's kind of good in a way. You know, I, I you know, I'm traveling all the time and, uh, you know, but I would like to get married someday. I just need to meet the, a nice person that I think that, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, have a good uh connection with and uh and, and i do want to have children that's what we were talking about in the podcast right so mm-hmm. you know i'm getting kind of i'm getting kind of older right i'm 42 years old today and i think i'm going through like what you'd call like a midlife crisis you know um i definitely and i'm not exaggerating i really am going through a midlife crisis yeah. like it's a crisis it's not just I'm thinking, oh, I'm getting old. It's a crisis. It's at crisis level. What are you feeling? Like I get up in the morning and I'm just sort of like stressed and like, oh, God, I'm going to die. You know, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. That uh, is the hallmark of midlife crisis. Yeah. And, you know, then I go get like a Dodge Challenger, right? Did you really do that? Yeah, because I want to be like the Dukes of Hazard. Uh, okay. You know, and I don't want to get some old guy car and feel like I'm driving around Hollywood looking like an agent or something. So right. I went and got a, do- <laughs> a black Dodge Challenger. And, uh, you know, I started smoking cigarettes. Not because I really like uh, smoking, but it's, I like smoking in the car because it feels cool <laughs> in the car. You know, smoking in the car while you're driving. Yeah. So now I'm trying to quit smoking the cigarettes because I'm ashamed. Say. And then now I'm quitting the smoking the cigarettes and then I get anxiety from not smoking. And I'm trying to quit drinking as much as I have been drinking. Not that it hasn't, it hasn't been quite at problem level of mm-hmm. drinking, but it was drinking too much. You know, you tour, you do stand up after the show, people want to buy you shots. So I've stopped drinking, you know, uh, hard alcohol as, mm-hmm. as much as possible. Although I do, did have two shots of Jameson last night at the Neil Hamburger show over at Satellite in Silver Lake. Have you ever gone to see Neil Hamburger? I never have. Hilarious guy. Uh, yeah, I've had seen two, him. I just haven't yeah, seen him live. Had two Jameson shots last night. So. So that was pretty good, but that's in control. I didn't drive, right? Right. Yeah, so that's uh, fine. I'm, 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 but, you know, I think you wanted to talk about how cancer affected my life. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, you know, I think that once you're 28 years old and then you, you get a sort of a, a, a possible, you know, you get cancer, right? You know you could die mm-hmm. from it. Uh, it really kind of like slaps you upside the head a little bit and you say, well, you know, like our bodies are fragile, um, they wear out. You can wake up one day and have some sort of thing growing on you, 
and then you can die. And it feels now like, you know, people always say, oh, you know, cancer, like uh, – Really changed me, you know, because uh, I realized it was a gift and uh, life is uh, is uh, short, so we got to enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, on one hand, but then on the other hand, it's you also realize that your our bodies are ticking time bombs, mm-hmm. and that at any moment you could just drop fucking dead right there, right? Excuse yeah. my language. No, please. So it's fucking stressful, man. Well, yeah, it's a lot. It's a it's a lot of pressure to be in the moment and wring joy from every potential everything. You know, yeah, it's stressful. It really is. And then I'm 42, and you watch TV, and every day you turn on the TV, and someone else dropped dead. Yeah, you know, at 42. Do you or, still feel yeah. like you're living? I mean, in reality, we're all living in the shadow of of death. But do you still feel like that's kind of hanging over you? Oh yeah, I feel like I'm running out of time, and I got to hurry up and get everything done I want to do, and I want to have kids, and I got to have a hard time like. You know, uh, you know, uh, I've had a hard time, like, kind of finding the person that I think is the right person to, like, settle down with, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's strange. It's a strange thing. Do you think that this, this uh, stress that you're experiencing now, is this because of your age? Is this the midlife thing? Or is, like, you're... So you're completely cured, and your chances yeah. of having you, you can't have a recurrence, right? Zero percent chance. Totally fine. Of, uh, the, the odds of me getting cancer now again are the same as the odds of somebody who's never had cancer. It's right. like completely cured and all that stuff. It's emotionally, not in remission. do you feel emotionally? Free of no, it? no, I'm screwed up from it. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but it's a good thing too. I I mean I like being kind of screwed up from it emotionally. Like I, I, look, I'm not screwed up from it in a way where I like I'm in therapy or anything like that. I maybe I should go to therapy. In LA, everyone goes to therapy. Oh, go to therapy, and you know I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't go to therapy. I mean, I don't believe in that. Uh, you don't believe in therapy? Nah, just, I'll just talk about it in my stand up, or I'll talk about to you. Right? This is therapy. This is actually thank yeah. you. I don't need I to go so, to a therapist. But... I'll talk to you about okay, it. Anytime great. I got a problem, I'll come here on the show and I'll talk to you Perf- about oh it. Oh my god, yeah. door is always open. Yeah, absolutely. I'll show you my rates. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that'd be great. Doors always open for you to come. Okay. Uh, that being said, I, I do. Um, I think a lot of people I'm, are emotionally closed. I think a lot of people are emotionally kind of closed off, and they don't like to talk about things. So those people need to go to therapy so they can. But I, I just, I just incessantly ramble about all of my problems to every single person I know. You know, constantly. Always going on and on about problems. I find it very creative <laughs> to sort of analyze, you know, what what drives me crazy, what I think is weird about the world. That's where a lot of my stand-up comes from. I am very much that way too. Have you noticed? There's some people who just don't do that at all, and that is weird. I feel like that's a different yeah. species of person. Yeah, I'm not like that. Yeah. I, t- I I'm always venting about things mm-hmm. ad nauseum. No, not ad nauseum. All of my friends are my therapists. <laughs> yeah. How lucky for them. Yeah. Well, it's fun. We have fun. I yeah. think we should do Just Me or Everyone. Okay, yeah. Fun segment. Oh, yeah. That's cool. I wasn't talking too much, was I? Not at all. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. I'm having fun. Yeah. So how's it work? Is we take tweets? Yes. These okay. people have tweeted in things where they wonder, is it just them or is it everyone? And then we say whether we do these things, too. This is a product of Twitter, this interview right now. Yes, that's right. Yeah, you tweeted me. I did. Yeah. And now here you are. You tweeted me and asked me if I would come to your show. And then, and I'd like you to come on my podcast mm-hmm. if you would like. I would love to. And, uh, and, and, and here uh, we are. That'd be great. I know. Here we are. We did it. Yeah. So Twitter is good, except for sometimes it's annoying. Yeah, it's great. It's, I mean, I, there's a lot of good things about social media, and there's a lot of things that can drive you crazy about it. That's right. Yeah, you know, like people, you know, like people knowing where you are all the time, and 
Especially if you get addicted to it like I am. I'm addicted to it. Oh, I, I wake up in the middle of the night and look at Twitter, which is yeah. so bad. But and I'm yeah. tweeting you know, 15, 20 times a day. Yeah. Just little things. I just ate a pretzel. And little things. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't really tweet about a pretzel, did you? I, I did yesterday, yeah. Oh, okay. I was at this bar on Ventura Boulevard called Stout. Mm-hmm. They've got great beer there. Love that place. Yeah. Great burgers, too. Great burgers, great beer. They got this giant pretzel as well that yep. you can get there. It's like the size of your head. Yeah. It's a giant thing. And uh, so, anyways, it was pretty impressive looking, so I, <laughs> I thought I'd tweet a picture of it. Hmm? I'm going to have to go look at that. Yeah, it's good. It's on my Indigo Twitter. Indigo Brian says, Sometimes I forget I'm alone and feel embarrassed for singing along with the theme show of a podcast. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's a nice thing. Well, it must be a big fan. Yeah. And uh, no embarrassment. Don't feel embarrassed. Don't feel embarrassed if you're alone because nobody knows. That's right. That you did it. So there's no reason to be embarrassed. The only reason to be embarrassed is if there's other people looking at you and thinking that you're an idiot. Yeah. But if you're alone, then you know only you know that you're an idiot. Exactly. Yeah, so. Thomas and Chad says. Feel like a dish you hand scrub with tons of soap and hot water is not as clean as one that is stuck in washer and probably gets a squirt of H2O. Yes, I I feel like a dishwasher cleans dishes better than hand washing them. I could be wrong, but that's just my feeling. A dishwasher cleans it better? Yeah, than yeah. if you just hand wash it. Yeah, you've got a real sort of uh, domestic <laughs> kind of thing going on here. It's huh? weird how Talking they about sort washing of, the dishes and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's weird how, for whatever reason... In a given episode, they'll all kind of conform to a certain theme. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Adam Lingang says, at the grocery store, I use the small grocery carts because I think it's better for the environment. Just me or everyone. That's not I, not me. I'll just use whatever I cart. Absolutely I absolutely won't because I look like a fucking freak. If it's I not better for the environment, though. That's with cars. If you have a small yeah. car, it uses less fuel. But uh, a large cart isn't going to affect no. the environment in any way, It's not Adam. affect the carbon doesn't, footprint. It doesn't have anything to do with it. No. Adam. And re- why not just go so far as to take like the one for the little kids? Have you seen those? Sometimes grocery stores have those. The, oh, yeah. Yeah. The little like they look like little cars. Yeah. And they have a little yeah. flag. Yeah. Those are fun. They, I like to ride around fun. in those. Do you remember riding in the grocery cart? You know, like the – okay, so you have a grocery cart and there's that front section and there's that little flap you put down and little kids can sit in it with their feet hanging through. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you remember being little and sitting like that? Yeah, I liked that. That was fun. It was fun. Yeah, it was like being on an amusement park ride. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Clever Monkey One, earbuds always in correct ears. It grosses me out a little to set where someone just – oh, this is two in one. Grosses me out a little to sit when, where someone just sat when it's still warm. Oh yeah. It depends who had just sat who just sat there. Yeah. And uh, I do try to put my earbuds in the correct ears. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever noticed that a warm, freshly sat in. Really, seat. you haven't felt someone's butt warmth? No. Try it. Not in like no, not in that context. Really. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, never. No. Let's just say never. But how have you felt it? I've never felt butt warm. I feel ever. like you have. Never. You're saying no, you have. No, that's not what I meant okay. to say. Okay, I feel like you have. No, never have. Anthony RC627, whenever I watch a TV show or movie with kissing, I catch myself puckering my lips as if I'm the one being kissed. Um, no, I don't do that. But if I'm watching a movie and everyone has a concerned face, I also have a concerned face. Or if everyone's smiling, then I'm smiling. I notice that I do a weird mirroring thing. I like the fact that your tweeters are really trying hard here and being good like they're coming up with stuff to talk about i know they're not being jerks about it just saying like crass kind of trolling yeah. you kind of thing no they're good they're coming up with fun little things i think they so. really like you and your show and they you know 
Thank you. Yeah, that's right. they're, they're, you can tell just by yeah, the it's tweets. It's a nice community of yeah. people who send in weird things they do. Yeah, and they've thought about it, and they're trying to make the show good. Yeah, yeah, I can great. see that right away. Germer09 says, I cringe when others say I'm a hugger when hugging. It's the equivalent of asking if they can kiss you. Gross, just me or everyone. It depends. There's certain people where if they say I'm a hugger, it is creepy. Yeah. I was in the uh, Starbucks the other day. Okay. I was walking in and there was this lady walking out of the Starbucks and we did one of those things where I went to turn – Go oh. right, and she went right, and then I went to go left, and she went left, and we almost crashed into each other. Like a rom-com. Like, yeah, and then she was this British lady, and she said, oh, you know what that means? That means we have to hug. <laughs> and then she le- went like this, and I'm like, okay, and I gave her this big hug and hugged her, and then sh- she walked away, and I said, Look, thanks. That was kind of a nice thing. That is kind of nice. Yeah. So that doesn't gross me out. But hugging. what if she had been gross? Or he- what if she was a guy? She was gross. <laughs> I still hugged her. I don't care. Okay. Yeah, that was nice. Higher Basis says, when someone doesn't respond to a text message in a timely manner, I begin to worry about their well-being. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I do that. Yeah. I, I get like that with Randy because he's got epilepsy. And oh. uh, we're always afraid that he's like, going to have a seizure in his car. So when he's late or something, we start to all freak out. Uh-huh. But then no one does anything. We all just kind of chance it. Have yeah. you ever seen him have a seizure? No. His brother has and his family has. This he, is his roommate. Yeah, he had a seizure on a dock five minutes before he was going uh, snorkeling. Jeez. So good thing it wasn't five minutes later. See, that's yeah. the thing about text messaging I can't stand is it's now that we all are walking around tethered to our phones mm-hmm. and, and essentially every human being on the planet has immediate access to us at any given moment. You know, there's this sort of this sort of feeling that exists out there that if you don't immediately respond to somebody that you're being sort of uh, you know rude. an ass or being rude or whatever. So I purposely don't respond to people right away most of the time. I can't get into that habit of get, letting everyone think that I'm always right there. See, whenever I do respond right away, then I worry I'm, I'm setting the bar too high or yeah. too low. Yeah, because then you always got to respond yeah. right away. So I'll actually sometimes I'll get a message from somebody. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I I know the answer to the question they're asking me, and I have the time to immediately respond. Right. But I will actually set the phone down and wait twenty minutes, just to teach him a lesson. We texted. Yeah. Did you teach me a lesson? Did we? Te- yeah, we texted. Yeah. We did text. Yeah, I don't always do that, but yeah. Um. Yeah, I know. I probably responded to you right away, though. I bet. I think so. Yeah. I, think I also maybe. turn my phone off a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I've started leaving it in my car. Sometimes that's smart because it's just it's just too much for me. I can't stand that uh, sort of the invasiveness. Uh, you know, I mean, like the world was. I, I you know, I remember very clearly in high school not having email, mm-hmm. not having the internet, not having cell phones, and when you'd walk home from school, you'd be away from all your friends, and it would take me about forty-five minutes to walk home every day, and you'd have this sort of life experience where you just were exploring. The neighborhood, you'd yeah. walk through the woods, you weren't getting interrupted by all of this stuff. Sometimes you'd cl- like climb inside like some bushes or something, <laughs> like inside a cedar hedge. You'd be inside it looking around at little bugs and stuff. Nobody has time to climb inside a cedar hedge anymore. No. No, there there will be days where for whatever reason, maybe I'm traveling or just like if I'm shooting something – where I'm go- going from place to place and I really don't have time to like be checking my email except for maybe occasionally and really checking in with social media. And at the end of the day when I go to 
Like, like the first thing I do when I get home before I even take my makeup off is I feel like I have to see what, ha- what happened on Twitter and what's going on here. And uh-huh. I didn't moderate the comments on my website and I didn't do this. And uh-huh. like, and it's, it, who cares? It doesn't matter. And yet I've like, there's 10 hours away and I feel like I'm, I've been at sea. What it is, is it's a dopamine addiction. Yes. Okay. So when you receive a text message and it's good, positive news and you receive tens or hundreds of these per day possibly or per week and when you receive a Facebook message and you receive any sort of information that makes you feel happy and then you create dopamine and goes into your blood and you become addicted to that rush of dopamine. I talk about this in my stand-up show. I have mm-hmm. a bit about it but it actually is, is based in truth, right? And so, you know, if you leave your phone off or if you – that's where you sort of get that fidgety feeling like I have to go check my text yeah. messages. It's not coming from any real logical – place of that there's you know even if you're not expecting anything you still feel like you have to go check it but that's just because it's a physical addiction it's like you want to have a cigarette it's like you you want that dopamine in your blood again right you check it you feel that positive response so people are addicted to it all over the world now are addicted to it and that's why people are wandering around stuck on these phones all day and it's uh it drives me crazy so i i'm just trying to wean myself off of it i've considered getting rid of my cell phone i don't know if i can do it but i've literally been thinking about just getting rid of it entirely and only using email and getting back to the sort of you know 1970s 80s kind of way of of living where mm-hmm. you know you plan your life when you're at home on the phone and then you go off into the world and you have some freedom for a few hours and then when you get back home, you check your email and you, you make a plan. I'm thinking about doing it. I, I haven't worked up the nerve to actually do it yet, but I'm thinking about doing it. One of these days, I'm just going to get very frustrated and I'm going to uh, throw my iPhone in a river somewhere. I'm just going to throw it as mm-hmm. far as I can into a river. Don't fish it out and put it in rice. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Like far. Yeah. Uh, unretrievable. Okay. Yeah. Does Good. that work? Yeah, that's what I've. Yeah, yeah, if you drop your phone in a toilet or something, which is yeah. like if you do that, just get a new phone. But yeah. I've heard if you get it wet and then you put it in rice for yeah. a few days, it soaks it up. Um, you know what the challenge will be for you? I don't believe that. Though, Trying to work. meet up with someone without a cell phone. Yeah. Do you know how hard it is to meet someone yeah, in the real they'd world? They all try to change plans, and you're right. already on the bus to get to the to the mall to that's meet right. them at the movie theater. That's right. Yeah. Meet you at the movie theater at seven. And that's like well, which theater? It's a yeah. me- megaplex. At the mall. Yeah, that was like when I, you know, I was when I was a kid, right? Like that's that's what it was like. You'd you'd meet your friend, and you'd say, "Okay, tomorrow I'll meet you at the mall at seven thirty. Mm-hmm. and then you'd show up at seven thirty, and they'd be there. Yeah, it was a simpler time. We had ways of of, of working around it, though. Then, you know, like I, you would you would go to if you needed to change plans, you would go you'd or if you couldn't show up. You'd, you'd go to a payphone, yeah, and then you'd call your voicemail, <laughs> and you'd check your voicemail, or you'd I, call their voicemail and say, "Hey, I can't make it." And so we would sort of leave messages even right. when we weren't home on our own personal voicemails. I feel like my entire college experience was finding phones to call my voice, my answering machine yeah. to see if I had any messages. Right. So we did that. Yeah. We still had that, and. Um, yeah, and you or you just go home and press the button and hear the messages. Yeah. You didn't always get them remotely. Yeah, I I, I like that better. Yeah, I like it those. is. It's very hard to be in the moment when you're constantly checking Twitter. Yeah, and I'm I'm the worst one. And the problem is, is because now everybody's sort of in this electronic world, right? You know, you can't really get out of it. You but know, I, you, think, I don't think you could function in the society now without without mm-hmm. a cell phone. But I think, mm-hmm. uh, I think for people who grow up with it. 
it's less of a jarring experience. I think it's seamless. Like to them, it's not like, oh, there's this virtual world and then there's the real world. Like we're making this distinction between what's real and, and what's electronic. But I think that for my, my hunch is that for someone who's grown up with it, it's really, it's seamless. It's just one thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like uh, Twitter is the real world now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. My so- Twitter followers, they're, they're my friends. I'm at Tom Green Live on Twitter, by the way. At Tom Green Live. Not at Tom Green. At Tom Green Live. At Tom Green Live. Yeah. All right. So just a couple more just me. Follow, follow me. Boinkity Boink says, follow hamburger me, buns were made exclusively mm. for hamburgers. If, did we have this one already? No. This one sounded familiar. Was that another show, maybe? It might have been, but it's time mm. to do it again. Okay. <laughs> if someone makes a ham sandwich with one, it's horrific to me. Oh, no, yeah. I think it's... Really? I it feel was- like that's just ingenuity. Mm, yeah, but it would t- it would be weird, wouldn't it? It would look weird, but I would be okay with. We have a weird hamburgery kind of flavor. If weird, it, has, it, if it, it, it depends. It, it, sesame seeds, yes. I mean, if there's sesame seeds, then all bets are off. No, it's I, weird that he chose to use ham as the strange meat yeah. to put in a hamburger right. bun because yeah. it still would be a hamburger in a way. But You're it's not, right. It's a ham sandwich. You're right. He, he should have said pastrami or turkey. peanut butter and jelly on a. You That'd know? be the weirdest. Yeah. That'd right? be the, the worst. Peanut butter and jelly on, on a hamburger, hamburger but, yeah. bun would not be good. No. No. Gary? Yeah, yeah I, I agree that the ham was a weird choice, but I, I like this one. No, I like this one because, like, every now and then you'll be usually at, like, an airport or something. You'll order, like, a pulled pork sandwich, and it comes on a hamburger bun, and I always feel like I'm being cheated. I don't know yeah. why. Sandwich yeah. should not come on a hamburger bun. Yeah. Well, what would be weirder would be I could ham handle pu- on a hot dog bun. Yeah. With that disc, that would definitely. I could bun. handle pulled pork on a hamburger. It, it was. Bun. Yeah, it wasn't. A so good the hot, hot meat. Can yeah. go on a hamburger bun, yeah. But cold meat can't yeah, go like on a hamburger bun. Yeah, like chicken salad on a hamburger bun. Yeah. No, that's a pulled pork burger. Yeah, I, I would argue. Right. Yeah, it's not a sandwich. It was sold to me as a sandwich. Oh, uh, okay. Trade. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, felt wrong. I could see why you'd be upset about that. <laughs> I can see. I can see what you're throwing down there. Woodlove says, "I mock television commercials that are egregiously sappy or manipulative." Well, I think everyone does that. Yeah, they're all like that too, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Occasionally, though, I actually will get tears in my eyes, and then I think, "What's going on?" Yeah. At certain commercials. Oh, yeah? Yeah, sometimes. I'm manipulated by commercials. They move you to tears. Sometimes. Like what? Like the Cottonelle commercial with the little kittens chasing the toilet paper down the stairs? That's pretty cute. Yeah. And there's one. Yeah, if there's bunnies or penguins or anything like that, I'm pretty into it. But no, when I was. Bunnies make you cry? No, just penguins. All little fluffy things. Ducklings are my favorite. Ducklings, yeah. Oh, what do you think's the cutest? Ducklings, puppies, or babies? We haven't talked about this in a long time. This used to come up frequently. Well, they're all babies. Right. B- baby humans. Baby humans. Or puppies. You, puppies, or... ducklings, or baby humans. I'd say ducklings are the cutest. Yes, that's what yeah. I have maintained yeah. for a long time. Yeah, they are actually the cutest. Thank you. Yeah, I think the reason that you think that is because that's probably just – you're right about that. Just empirically. Yeah. I think so, yeah. but people get very passionate about it. Yeah, because first of all, I'd, th- I'd say – this is just off the top of my head – I. Never really thought about this. Mm-hmm. But the thing about ducklings is they all look pretty much identically the same. Yeah. Because you can get an ugly puppy. Yeah. You, I mean, ugly duckling, I suppose you can get. There's a term for that. There's a word for that. Yeah, right? but But yes, then it but turned I'm... out to be a swan, That's right? right. Yeah. But, the, uh, but there's a lot of ugly babies out there, right? Definitely. That's for sure. You see them all the time at the mall and Fresh stuff. Fresh from the womb, most yeah. of them are ugly. They're sort of dripping snot out of their faces. Yeah. Yeah, like me earlier. 
And, well, the show. imaginary snot. I had imaginary ghost snot. Imaginary liquid coming out of my nose earlier. Anyways, yeah. who am I to talk? I don't know. They're all cute, but I'd say ducklings. Thank you. Yeah. That's, that is the right answer. Yeah. Ugh. We're out of time, but we didn't get a chance to talk about your parrot. Oh, yeah. Rex. Rex Murphy. And you have two dogs, too. Two dogs, Annie and Steve, and a parrot, and it's a crazy menagerie, menagerie up at my house. Yeah. Is the parrot a good pet? It's, uh, you know, it's a good pet, uh, but you know, since I started touring, doing stand-up, traveling, not being home as much, the bird has uh, sort of has some emotional issues with me. How does that manifest? Well, basically, you know, when I've... Had the parrot for I've had the parrot for about ten years now, and and for the first five or six years, you know, before I was touring, uh, I was like, you know, the bird was very, you know, cuddly with me, and now, you know, it takes when I come home from the road, it takes a few days of sort of coaxing for the bird to want to come out of the ca- cage and have a little cuddle. Oh, yeah, she can take she's a little separation. She anxiety. can take a little bite out of me sometimes. Really, like you reach in, she'll bite my finger, and she just sort of. I, and it's not that she doesn't know who I am; it's that she she's knows mad. who I am, and she's mad. Yeah, very emotional, very intelligent, though. Uh, you know, she, she likes dancing to music and is uh, speaks a few words, not many words, but a few words. That's Says really hello cute. and things like that. Yeah, it's cool. But I'm sad that she's sad when you're gone. Uh, no, she's not sad when I'm gone because she likes the, the, you know, the solitude. The, well, no, I have a guy that moves into my house and looks after the house and looks after the animals and stuff when I'm gone. And uh, so, and they, they get along. She's just mad at me. Right. Yeah. All right. So. Then I won't be sad. Yeah. Tom Green, this Thanks. has been so much fun. Thank you so much. Yeah. Let's. <laughs> I went to clap and I hit the mic. Uh, it's okay. Hit the mic sound. I like yeah, that. Yeah, thank you. That was cool. That was uh, one, of, one of the positive uh, things of Twitter, right? We got to link mm-hmm. up on Twitter. That's right. And now we're here. And here we are. Doing, the, doing some uh, broadcasting here. That's I appreciate right. it. Thanks for having me on Let's the show. Let's tell everyone all of the things they need to know. They can follow you on Twitter at Tom Green yeah, Live. Yeah, follow me at Tom Green Live. You can go look at some of uh, the old and new videos that I'm doing on TomGreen.com, which links to my YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash Tom Green. And uh, come see me on the road. I'll be at Caroline's in New York City, August uh, 15th through the 18th. And then I'll be – I have upcoming show dates. They're all on my website. I'll be at the Tempe uh, Improv. I'll be in Florida, West Palm Beach. I'll be in Ottawa, Canada doing shows and uh, Miami and a bunch of different places uh, doing some shows with Steve-O in Biloxi, Mississippi and in California somewhere. And all the dates are on the website. Mm-hmm. Come see the show live. Listen to the podcast and, uh, and and drink your beer and drink the beer and um, check out the big big show check out the when big, that premieres check, check out the big big show and uh, yeah just uh, it's a lot of fun follow me on Twitter though I'll tell you I'll tell you all this stuff ad nauseum I'll, let, I'll I won't let you forget <laughs> perfect yeah. and you can follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen you can follow Gary at G Patrick Smith you can follow the show's Twitter feed ARI at ARIYMBF if you want to email us ARIYMBF at Adam Kroll and if you're going to buy something on Amazon which you are because they have everything why not click through the banner on my website at AllisonRosen.com it doesn't cost you anything extra but it helps out the show um, also we have a ringtone hey hey Go fuck yourself. That's a segment we do on the show. We didn't have a chance to do it today. But yeah, we we let people know that that they need to do that if there are people that need to do that. But anyway, you can get that as a ringtone or it can be your text tone. uh, And you get that by just searching Hey, Go Fuck Yourself on your iPhone. Just search uh, iTunes. 
search for hey go fuck yourself i really made that cumbersome i, I really worried. stumbled over I those worried. words no it was great i was worried that i said the f word earlier i know and you There's gotta no... go fuck yourself segment on but the we fucking make it show. so nice we make it fuck. so nice sounding yeah that's I, right let's hear it again hey hey Go fuck yourself. So sweet. Yeah, it sort of sounds like that two and a half men, uh, you know, men, men, you know, the two and a half yeah. men theme. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not but, saying I've watched the show you. constantly, but yeah. <laughs> no, well, you know, professional is what I'm saying. Professionally oh, produced. thank you. Very pro. Thank you very yeah, much. Very slick. Thank you. That's... I need some slick uh, jingles on my podcast. I do. Well, yeah. this guy, Trap Dog, he's in New York. He... Uh, he's a big fan, and he is a musician, and he's made all the songs. He does the theme song and all of it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Sounds uh, awesome. Tom Green, thank you so much. Thanks, Allison. Thank all you. All right. Bye, you guys. I love you. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? Digital.